Good Gabs, sponsored by Skillskin, a nonprofit organization empowering individuals with disabilities through employment. Today, we're here at the Spokane Library with Larry Ashu, Executive Director of the Smith Barbieri Progressive Fund. Welcome to the show. We are so happy to have you. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Well, I know I'm uh, on the board of Catholic Housing, uh-huh. and so developing, you know, our hotel project up on Sunset. Yes, it's uh, just an exciting moment, right? Yes, we can really move the needle here. There's funds that not just uh, are available to like make new shelter space or make new program space, but funds to keep them going. Yes. Yes, <laughs> I know. What a concept, right? right? <laughs> and 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 what's I think what's so encouraging about what's happening is that the folks who are involved are doing it with compassion, which is something that that lacks um, not just in this community but really in our world. And I think um, you know the United States as a whole as a whole, and and not to be you know a Debbie Downer on our country, but we have a tendency to not to believe in pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, right. and sometimes forgetting that folks need that hand up. Often you know? everyone does, right? Yeah. One of my uh, things I just can't stand is like the self-made person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Never. work for me. It Mm-mm. just doesn't happen, no. right? No. Yeah. We've all been lifted up so yes. many times in so many ways. And why does that have to end when we're kids? I've been thinking about that a lot lately as kids are going to school this week and and you know everybody's rallying together to help the 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 moms that are sending kids back off to school and like the, the craziness of soccer schedules and all of that and all the things that we have to help but you know we turn 18 in this country and suddenly you're legal in ways you're probably not ready for and parents are no longer involved and we have this way of cutting off the help Right. You know, when you turn a number. On this arbitrary number. On this arbitrary (laughs) number. And then you get another arbitrary number when you're 21. And so what, why is, why is that? You know, when you're 32, you're 35, you're 65, you still need help and you still need to be loved. Absolutely you do. That happens in the disability community that we're involved in at SkillSkin. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're kind of aging out of high school, maximum around 20 years old it's like Mm -hmm. it's over same thing just and then just just randomly you're supposed to have everything that you need and be able to do everything on your own and i just i don't buy that (laughs) me either well tell me more about that like what what can communities do to kind of rally around that moment like where that transition is taking place into you know adulthood and what what should we be thinking about well i think we need to think about the longevity and sustainability of communities of folks who are who need it especially longer than what we've deemed the norm you know that that arbitrary number of 18 or whatever and we need to take a step i think as community as a whole as society we need to take a step back and say hey some of these communities can't be tied to a number they 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 need we need to look at sustainability for them and how can they be the how can we help them be their best self for the entirety of their life and what does that mean uh, folks with disabilities is a great example. Foster kids, right? You know, same same situation. It's like, oh, so they had help till they were out of high school or eighteen. Now they're just magically gonna know how to do everything on their own. Like, <laughs> yeah, how short sighted is that? Yeah, because it's not real, right? Right. I right. was. Uh, I just came across a a number um, 
statistic around foster kids that one in four are going to experience homelessness mm -hmm. at some point in their mm -hmm. adult life. I'm like, that was a shocking number for shocking, me. Shocking, right? Yeah, <laughs> it is shocking. And it's very, very real. Um, you know, we, we work with um, Treehouse out of Seattle that does a lot of great work for, for foster kids and the helping with the graduation success rate, because that's a challenge also for foster kids, just being able to get to that graduation of high school, right? And again, it's like, why? I, 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 I don't know. I've just in, was born apparently, or maybe my parents did something magical, but I just really believe we should always help people and that that's what life is about. It's not about your skyscraper, your fancy car, your big house. It's really about what did we do for each other? How did we lift each other up? Well, so let's talk about you a little bit more than like with this heart for service. Is what uh -huh. I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? And tell I us more. No, I really do <laughs> think that I was just, you're really just born that way. I can remember being in junior high and saying, well, I want to be a big sister in the big brothers and sisters program because I just think it would be really great to help someone who's not as fortunate as me. Now, how did I know at seventh grade that I was fortunate? I, you know, I had, we weren't wealthy, but we were in mid middle class. I had never really wanted for anything, and I had a healthy, happy home. And um, somehow I just realized that it wasn't that way for everybody. And I lived in a small town in Montana where, you know, there we didn't see homelessness every day. We didn't see violent crimes and things like that. So, I, I mean, I honestly can't tell you how it came to be other than I have always been wired that way. <laughs> and... Um, spent oh the better part of 25 years in the entertainment business which is super weird considering we're talking about helping people because I love the entertainment business but it doesn't really help people okay in the same way that we're talking about on these other subjects and so when I made the career switch into doing this I really feel like I finally came home right. because I'm like this is what I'm supposed to be doing is I'm supposed to be helping people however I can and I'm super fortunate to be able to do so well, I, we have a similar story of that. I was, you know, a salesperson for a long time in the medical uh, device world. Mm. And, you know, in that way, you're supposed to be helping people. Uh -huh. I was really selling plastic. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, once I, you know, got into the nonprofit space, it's like, oh, there's this? Yeah. And I, you described as, yeah, found your home. I felt the same. Yeah. I'm home. Yeah. Yeah. Found your people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Our tribes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, Montana, uh, when, how'd you make it to Spokane? I uh, went to Gonzaga University. So I started at Carroll College and wanted to have a degree in marketing and they didn't have that at the time. And so I transferred over to Gonzaga and finished there and stayed. <laughs> Carroll College in Billings? Helena. Helena. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have two kids that are, well, one that just graduated from there and another that's a senior there now. So. Nice. So uh, yeah. Gonzaga, and then you just never left, huh? Just never left. Got married yeah. here and stayed. And, you know, I started working for the Best of Broadway when I was in my early 20s. And that's not the kind of job that you can do anywhere, uh, particularly in that in Montana, <laughs> because right. national touring Broadway shows don't go into Montana. And so um, I stayed a lot because of the job. And my husband worked at Sacred Heart as a mental health counselor for children. And at the time, you know, 30 years ago, when we were starting our careers, the particular type of counseling he was doing was also not available 
in Montana. Otherwise, we probably would have gone back. I love Montana. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful state. So yeah. what part? Helena. Okay, Helena. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We have operations in, in Great Falls. Oh, um, good. And so I'll, I'll make sure to drive through there. And yeah. The Missouri River there. I have some very, so yeah, it's close to my heart. Yeah, beautiful uh, space. Yeah. Well, Spokane, uh, we're happy to have you here. Oh, Glad you stuck thank around. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually lived here longer now than Montana. So I, I mean, I do call Spokane home, so. Well, that's yeah. great. Well, tell us more about the entertainment world. That's just, I think our listeners would be interested in hearing, you know, how does that work? Yeah, it's polar opposite <laughs> of what I'm doing now. But um, we, at the time, West Coast uh, West Coast Entertainment was a presenter in, in Spokane, and we brought national touring Broadway shows to the INB or Spokane Opera House or First Interstate, whatever you know it by. And uh, eventually branded out and went into regional, uh, doing some regional work as well as doing work in Hawaii and Alaska and Las Vegas. And um, I handled the marketing and PR for that. Really wonderful experience. I got to travel all over the country and see all the big shows and met a lot of famous people along the way. And uh, it was a really, really fabulous experience. Um, Coming into this work now... I, you know, I love my entertainment friends. I love the work that I did. Um, I don't, um, I, I don't wish it any different because I had such a great experience. Although I find that now, you know, and I don't say this from a place of, of bragging, it's really for context. I got to meet people like Oprah Winfrey, which really? was super exciting. But the people that I know now who are working on the streets and doing the really hard work, those are the heroes. Like that is really, those people, I just have so much admiration for. And yeah, it was fun to meet really famous people, but the heroes of today are the ones that don't get talked about. And they're the ones who are out there doing the work. Absolutely. Uh, and, and not just, I mean, I mentioned streets and the homeless. It's not just that. It's it's folks who are doing the loving care of folks with disability. And it's the, the, the people who are standing up for for youth and, and really getting into the nitty gritty of that kind of work where I, I'm just in awe. Yeah, well, it's interesting to hear that, like, from, you know, the shiny. Mm-hmm. As Americans, we often, I think, are pointed in that direction. Yep. But, yeah, like the folks on the ground, the ones who are – moving the needle for humanity mm-hmm. our community mm-hmm. yeah bless them for sure yeah absolutely you're i just on a personal level i think about spokane and the evolution of our community mm-hmm. is there's a point in time for me when those broadway shows started coming here mm-hmm. that i i saw the culture of our community change oh for sure so that was an interesting moment just to see the evolution over time you know i've been here my whole life of had to spend a little time in Seattle, but got to come back real quick. Yeah. Um, how? What have you seen over your thirty years here? Oh it, gosh, it is so it is so different. You know, when I was a Gonzaga student, downtown was quiet as can be at night. I mean, nothing was going on. And and the time that I went to to school, the Broadway series had only been in place maybe five or six years, not even that many, four years. And so uh, it was still very new. And culturally, when you bring those larger shows in, it does things like allow you to um, use it as a selling point for businesses coming to town and say, oh, we have these big shows. And, you know, I think that 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 helps in a lot of ways. But um, the food scene is so good here and has grown so much. Um, All of the independent 
um, restaurants that we have now and, you know, martini bars and all of those things has grown so much. And I think there's a lot more art here than than there was back in the early 90s. Um, so much emphasis put on that through Spokane Arts and some of the good um, organizations that are doing that work terrain, really bringing some diversity to to what's available to people. I love the work exciting. that they're doing. Yeah. yeah. From incubating businesses to, you know, taking up storefronts. Yeah. And putting, you know, art installations there. I'm like, wow, this changes just the feel. It does. It changes the feel mm. and it gives an opportunity for all kinds of people to, to grow and, and have um, innovative ideas be seen by all. And it's exciting. Well, that's a, a real focus around your work today, right? Is, mm-hmm. you know, the equity. How do you help people, you know, be in the equitable place? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, um, we work quite differently than a lot of funders in that we look specifically for small non um, small new nonprofits particularly those that have not been invested in uh, particularly those that are it, it, when possible um, being created by marginalized communities by POC members who have a really really great idea and the experience and capability to bring their idea to fruition if they just had the funding that they need and so those are the kinds of things we look for. And I say that that's different from other funders because um, the risk that's involved with that is not usually something that's palatable right. for, for a larger funder. And so, so we like to take those risks. That's kind of what we're all about is saying, yeah, we think you've got a great idea and we believe in you. And if it doesn't work out, we will have all tried. And that's that I feel so fortunate. Yeah, it seems to pretty be transformative. Able to say that, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that really comes from Sharon Smith and Don Barbieri, who are the trustees of our foundation who make all this happen. And that's that's their belief. And to be able to do that, I mean, some examples are um, a lot of folks know Rick Clark with Giving Backpacks. Yeah, he was our first guest on oh, this yeah. podcast. Yeah, so we were his original <laughs> funder and his fiscal sponsor. And fiscal sponsorships we do um, with these new nonprofits where they, they usually need a year, sometimes a little bit more sometimes a little bit less, where somebody's helping facilitate all their donations. And of course, they can rely on our 501c3 as they get theirs developed. And that was the case with Rick, is we we provided some substantial seed money to get him started. And then we came and was his fiscal sponsor for that first year while he developed his board and he got all of the nuts and bolts going in the right places. And then we, like we say, we incubate them and then we let them fly. And letting them fly is always the hard part. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> but shoot, well, that moment, yeah, because it's so hard. To, like if you have a great idea, that's step one, right? Yep. But yep. actually implementing it is so difficult. That's yes. amazing. I didn't know time. that that's exactly, you know, what the, the, fund was all about. Yeah. So that's a piece of what we do. Um, Feast World Kitchen is another example. We were their original funder and um, fiscal sponsor, and it's been so fun to watch them grow and the wonderful work that they're doing for our community, Um, not just building up the refugees and immigrants, but with with the work that they're doing as chefs, but also to enlighten our community with all the different kinds of foods amazing food amazing food and really giving folks the chance to experience that i think is wonderful for our, for our community um, another recent uh, fiscal sponsor is compassionate addiction treatment have you heard of them no so really innovative idea um, by some women with previous lived experience of homelessness and they are a organization that 
helps homeless folks with their substance abuse disorders recovery. And so they're not a shelter. They're open in the day only. So the folks that they're working with on recovery live on the streets. And it is super innovative. We're not aware of anywhere else in the state, much less this entire region, that is doing the work in the way that they are. I mean, they it's, it's medically assisted uh, treatment. So they have folks who come in who meet with doctors and nurses. And I don't have all the, the right yeah. language for the medications that they use. But they do some of that medical assisted um, detox as well as all of the, the group therapy and the peer counseling, which is so important. Um, to and in helping folks through their recovery and then eventually getting them into housing and and, and meeting them yeah where they're at meeting them where they're unhoused at. yep unhoused and it is an amazing an amazing thing and you know when they started um, it was just an idea and again original funder and fiscal sponsor and we have supported them quite a bit over the last three years um, and we'll continue to do so because the work that they're doing is so important and it's it's so different. <laughs> Totally. could be transformative, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We were both at the Hello for Good event. Yes. Uh, what was that, last week? Last week, yeah. Yeah, and uh, some of the numbers or statistics that were thrown out, like 80% of homelessness issues, you know, around, you know, drugs and mental illness. Is that the numbers that you guys are seeing? No. Okay. Um, Tell the, me more. Yeah. Tell our yeah, listeners more. Yeah, so some of those numbers were... You know, as a former marketing person, I can say that we can make statistics look any way that we want to send our own message, right? So and when you look at the, the national statistics around homelessness, which are coming from, from studies that are done across the country, unbiased studies, for no reason other than finding out what is this really about, the number one reason for homelessness is lack of housing. And that might come then from unemployment, um, domestic violence, um, mental illness, and substance abuse. And so the idea that gets pushed out there all the time is that people are houseless because they have a mental illness or, illness or they have a substance abuse problem is not necessarily correct. Now, does mental illness come along from living on the streets? Does it get exasperated? Absolutely. Are there lots of folks who have substance abuse challenges that are homeless? Absolutely. But is it the substance abuse that made them homeless? Not not 80% of them by any stretch of the imagination. We have just as, you know, just as many people housed who have substance abuse problems. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> as unhoused. It's more evident on the streets because of all of the other challenges that come with living out there. But yes, I don't agree with with those kinds of numbers. Well, that's a thank you for that perspective because, you know, as this conversation evolves, you know, and our community's going to have to get together and partner, like we said in the beginning, we yep. are. So we have this moment. Yeah. And as long as we can, you know, continue to maybe challenge each other and make sure that we're all pointing in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can solve this. I, this is a solvable issue in my mind. Yeah. Have you seen the videos from Housing and Help? No. Housingandhelp.org. So I'll, I'll give you the information. But the second episode just came out. Gavin Cooley is the host who was um, CFO for the city of Spokane for 18 years. So he's worked under Democrats. He's worked under Republicans. And it's the series is put together by Spokane Low Income Housing Consortium, of okay. which I'm the um, secretary treasurer for this year. And then uh, also presented by Corner Booth Media. And the series really takes a thoughtful 
approach to how is it that we got here with homelessness and where is it that we can go from here and ultimately will provide a solution um, model that's based off of success specifically in Houston and it was some Houston was not talked about um, at last week's meeting but Houston has reduced their houseless population by over 65 percent they've done that's it. a huge it's number. a huge number They've done it by looking at affordable housing with the help, right? So people get really upset about housing first numbers and statistics show, as they showed last week in in California, when you take one little place, you can look at folks that have put together housing first models that haven't produced the solutions. Well, my question would be, is is the housing first model did it include wraparound services meeting people where they were and and traditionally you'll find that no no they didn't and so what has to happen is you have to have the housing but you have to have the help you have to have the help right there because you can't just put somebody into four room four walls on a roof and say oh just like when you turned 18 you're now you're good great point it doesn't work that way and so the the video series talks about um about the, the necessity and what that might look like. And I've been able to be involved through Slick and that's, um, you know, with that video series. And I'm so excited about it because I also see what's coming, which is the solutions model. And we have yeah. two two episodes out so far, but I highly encourage you to, to watch them. Um, very high quality and really engaging. And it's not, it's not inflammatory towards anyone. The idea of the video series is to really be unbiased and just say this, this is this is what's happening, and um, like I said, the second episode just came out, and um, it's twenty minutes long, I think. And oh, I know what I'm doing this afternoon. Yeah, it's good. And our listeners too. You heard it right here. Let's watch it's this. Yeah, what's happening? I know uh, something I'm really proud of is Gonzaga Family Haven, mm-hmm. uh, the new low income housing uh, model for at least Catholic charities, where yep. we are including you know services in yep. a really transformative way very yeah. much so and in a beautiful mm. setting true and and the resources are right there and you know one of the things that excites me about Gonzaga Family Haven is the concentration on making sure that those kiddos are getting the education that they need and that they're getting the support that they need outside of the school to make sure that they can continue on in their education and get everything that's done and I think that's so great and you know you walk around Gonzaga Family Haven and you see the 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 attention to detail, like the art, you know, the fish, I don't know, um, banister, uh, railings, I yes. guess you would call them. And, you know, the splash pad and the, and the, the, the playground area. And, and it's, it's so wonderful. And why, why shouldn't people have access to that? You know, recreation and feeling a sense of pride, places for kids to play, places for families to gather, all of that is so important. Something that really struck me in that time is my wife grew up in low-income housing in Alaska, mm-hmm. and it was a shame to get off the bus mm-hmm. at that particular building. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we've talked about this conversation, like, why can't you live in a nice place? Right, right. right. You know, we're the wealthiest country in the mm-hmm. world. Why, why can't we let everybody have some sort of sense of pride? Absolutely. And what comes from that? You know, you get to grow on a personal level, especially a, a child, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're they're learning who they are mm-hmm. and forming their identity. And if we just take one element out, like shame because I live in the worst housing in mm-hmm. Spokane, you know, just take that off the table. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And you know, it's so frustrating because you people forget. We try to say a lot, don't judge because we don't know somebody else's story. But we really need to take that to heart. Because when 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 people who have a belief that you have to pull yourself up by your you by your bootstraps, when you're saying that to someone, you have no idea what they're having to go through to do that. And sometimes it's just it's just not possible. And and why do they have to live in a warehouse shelter or um, scrape together pennies to get across town in a bus to get to their appointments when we could just help them? And give them a sense of pride and give them a sense of ownership and feeling good about who they are and a sense of hope where they can then get to the point where they can have a healthy, sustainable life. But what is wrong with that? <laughs> yep. Don't have an answer for that one. Because I, I believe that vision, we can, we can make that happen. Yeah, I think so. And I Spokane, think, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> Spokane has done big things. And when you look at um, things like Hoop Fest or Bloomsday or, you know, the love for Gonzaga basketball from everyone, no matter what school you went to, um, if we get behind something, we really have a tendency to make it big and make it good. And we're at a pivotal point because we've grown a lot. This, you know, some of our um, little city challenges have become big city challenges, but there is more funding available right now than yep. there has ever been before in so many different ways. And we have a lot of really, really smart people. If we could just come together on what we agree upon and how to get there, we could we could be a leader in in solving some of these critical issues. Well, what you're describing takes leadership too. Mm -hmm. So I'm who's gonna take the you know the torch here? I don't know. I don't know. Um, some of it has to be more collabor collaborative, uh, and some of the, some of our the ways that we fund things needs to be looked at strongly. Um, I don't have faith in a lot of our leadership right now, our city leadership right now, or county leadership for that matter. Um, I hope that that there's going to be some changes. Because we we need changes in leadership because we need to make changes in our structures. And there's going to have to be some hard decisions that are made. And it, it, it ultimately, no matter what is decided, there's going to be people that aren't happy. Certainly. Big things it happens yeah. every time. Yeah. But if we could get more people together and figure out where that middle road is, where we know we all, we know we all want the same outcome, maybe for different reasons. But if we can figure out in that middle portion some give and take, instead of just putting up walls and saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that, we could, we could really make some good changes. Well, I'm hoping, you know, to see, to see who's going to step up. For I that. am too. What's the role of city government from your perspective in, in that? In, Can they pull everyone together? You know? Well, I, th I think that... Are we going to do the citizens? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's going to have to be organizations and citizens. Um, the example, um, not to use it as the only example, but it is most prominent in my mind, is what Empower Health Foundation has done with the commerce dollars and how they're gathering everybody from all the different organizations together and starting to figure things out. Um, there's no reason why a city leader couldn't have done that, but they didn't and they haven't and historically they haven't and so um some of that is because government is set up the way that it is set up and it's long and it's tedious and there's lots of red tape and there's some challenges that come with that inherently that that prevent i think some collaborations 
But that's why we we need to look to citizens and organizations and community leaders. And really, the business sector is part of that. Absolutely. <laughs> so hopefully they will come. And, and I think they're trying. I mean, I think Hello Gopher is trying. Um, like I said, we have some different beliefs in how they are going about that. But hopefully we all continue to work together and we'll get there. Well, inviting people to the table. I think our listeners would like to know a little bit more about what is Empire Health Foundation doing? Do you know like how they're pulling people together? Uh, well, I just know that um, because hmm. I've been part of some of these meetings that um, I was just at one last night where they have invested time and personnel to, for the, particularly for these um, right-of-way commerce dollars where they have a, an individual that they have hired that is going to be the project manager, so to speak, of this entire thing and, and the funding that they have been given by commerce to disperse. And so they are, um, they recognize and have a very strong community partnership ethic going into this. So I can only really speak to that part of it. Um, if you haven't talked with Zeke Smith, you should. Um, he is their leader and is fairly new here um, and has is, is really made some great changes and, and is really collaborative. So it gives me a lot of hope that leaders like that um, can help bring people together. Well, thank you for that. And Zeke, if you're listening, come on the show. We <laughs> yeah, want to hear more yeah, from you. yeah. Well, a, a few more questions for you. Yeah. Just thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm just wondering, what are you, you know, most excited about for Spokane's future right now, just from your personal perspective? Well, I I think that there are a lot of younger voices coming up, and I think part of the younger generation stand a little stronger in their convictions for what is right. Maybe more so than than my generation or um, some of the generations on either side of mine, where we, you know, we're a little more cautious on controversy and wanting to be more careful to please everyone. And as the younger leaders come up, and there's more opportunity to stay here and more reasons to stay here, like the food scene, like the the cultural scene, the you art, know, you know, the art, everything that's coming together that's going to keep younger generations here. That. Um, that will help grow that kind of leadership that will stay strong in convictions that I really believe in see a lot of young people who want to do the right thing for the right reason and want to help people up. Well, I couldn't agree more. I'm thinking about even my own kids, mm -hmm. like thinking about the environment, some of the, the they're really standing up. Mm -hmm. um, well, one more question. Yeah. What's inspiring you right now or who's inspiring you? Oh, it's definitely the folks who are working the hardest with the populations that need help. And as a funder, it would be really easy for us to just sit back and, you know, write checks and, you know, stay behind a desk, so to speak. But I try to roll up my sleeves and, you know, in our hot days recently, I've carried, you know, 20 pound bags of ice and brought 400 pounds of ice to these cooling, cooling spots and whatnot. And I like to do that because I'm reminded and I'm so inspired by the people who are doing the hard work and, and have the know-how and the lived experience to say, this is how we're going to get, this is how we're going to get through this. And these are the changes that we need. And those people are super inspiring to me. Well, yeah, it fills the cup to be in service. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Um, you know, listeners, if you're thinking about something to do, how to get involved, just go out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do absolutely. something, connect with an organization that's, you know, close to your heart and 
help change the world for all of us. Yeah. Well, thank you so much Absolutely. for being with us today. Nice. Yeah. Any parting thoughts? Oh, gosh, no. But just thank you for doing this. And thanks for all your organization does for folks. Um, I just admire admire you all and are so grateful. For well, what thanks you for do. being part of the solution. Trying. Yeah. <laughs>